You're listening to the Solution Focus Podcast, the official podcast of the UK Association for Solution Focus Practice. And I'm your host, Alan Parry. In this episode of the Solution Focus Podcast, my guest is Dr. Becky Sim. Becky's a solution focused clinical psychologist and she works at the Lancashire Care NHS Foundation Trust. Now, what makes her work so interesting is that she works in the clinical context of pain, seeing patients in their community pain service. It's a fascinating account of how to be solution focused in a difficult, often chronic situation. So, a big welcome to Dr. Becky Sim. Hiya, Becky. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show. Hi, Alan. Not a problem. Yeah, I was really interested to get you on because you're a solution-focused practitioner and you're a clinical psychologist, aren't you? But you work in a very different setting to, say, many of the other people that I'll be interviewing. So tell us a little bit about you and, and the kind of work that you do. Ah, okay. So yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. um, And a lot of my work is with people with long term physical health conditions. And a big part of my work is working with people with chronic or persistent pain um, as part of an NHS community pain service um, with a multidisciplinary team with, you know, a medical doctor, um, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, etc. So a lot of my my work is um, aimed, I guess, at supporting people to try and live well despite pain. Okay. And you just won an award in that, I hear. So we've been shortlisted um, this year for the Nesta Good Help Awards. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting. So um, the results get announced in September. Um, and, yeah, they were looking at um, good help and, and finding kind of projects and services that they thought were kind of good examples of, of good help, you know, in inverted commas. Um, and, a lot of the kind of good help principles as described by this organization, Nesta, appeared to me to be quite solution focused principles. Um, so in a way, a lot of the work we do with our patients um, in a solution focused way and also working with the expertise of our patients and all the peer support networks we've tried to help set up seem to kind of um, tick the boxes for Nesta's definition of good help. So I think that's why we we shortlisted, really. Oh, well, good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you. It's so very what, exciting. <laughs> what kind of uh, patients do you tend to see on a, on a weekly basis? You know, if you can give us a typical rundown of the, the type of people that you're seeing and the type of issues they're facing. Yeah, so um, I guess probably like my, most psychologists or most people that work with people, um, everybody tends to be different. Um if we're talking about, see, it's different, isn't it? If we think about them in terms of diagnoses, um, you know, perhaps I might see a few people with something called fibromyalgia, which is um, a widespread pain condition, which also has a fatigue aspect and um, cognitive kind of clouding aspect as well. I might see pe- people who've been in kind of road traffic accidents and their pain has persisted or or surgery where the pain has persisted. Um, but then if I think in terms of actually people and best hopes that leads me to describe the people I work with in very different ways um so for example um I've worked with a guy whose best hope was to walk his daughter down the aisle um and in a a sense I don't kind of need to know the diagnosis in in a way uh because I'm kind of working with helping people to live well despite pain and that's what where most of my questions and most of my work in the team lies I guess yeah I was going to ask you that actually you know to what extent do you actually need knowledge of their underlying condition in order to be helpful in in helping them to manage it I think I think if you're talking about purest solution focus way, you you kind of don't need lots about the underlying condition. Um, I guess as a a clinical psychologist working in you know a health psychology team um, in an MDT, it does help to have some knowledge of the things that people with pain can often face or experience because I find that. Um, Sometimes my role is also about helping them normalise and understand their experiences. So in that sense, I'm not a totally purist solution-focused practitioner. However, um, 
yeah, I don't always need to know exactly what's happened to someone, particularly if they their focus they want to be is on where they want to get to in their life now. Um, so again, it varies from from person to person, really, um, depending on you know what, what they want, I suppose. Yeah. So so what is it that they kind of want? Because I was thinking, I mean, you give them one lovely example there, wanting to walk his daughter down the aisle, but. How does it differ when people are giving their best hopes if they're, say, in a situation where they're in chronic pain? Because I'm guessing that sometimes they'll be thinking, well, my best hope is not to be in pain anymore. But given that someone in chronic pain is probably going to be like that maybe forever, yeah. um, and I might be I might be misrepresenting that, but what do their best hopes tend to be? How does it tend to be different given that they're they're within those parameters? Yeah, I, I think I think that's a really you know good point, and it is often that way. So often, I guess when people come to health services, their hope is that we'll be able to help to fix them or kind of get rid of something. In this case, pain. Um, and sometimes the people I, I work with through the team I work with, they'll have explored some of those options, perhaps with the the medical doctor or the physio, and, and perhaps they're reaching the point where they they have actually tried all the options we have available for getting rid of getting rid of or reducing pain. Um, so then often it can be a case of living well despite this pain in your life. So you know I am I sometimes have to kind of talk about actually I can't I can't take away or, or fix your pain. However, would you be up for a conversation about living the best life you can despite this thing that's kind of um, come along in your your life? Um, so sometimes I'll frame the conversation in that way because there has to be kind of a, I guess, a shared goal. Yeah. Sometimes, however, you know, you, you can ask the question, so if you didn't have this pain, what would what would start to be different? And you, you kind of can, can mine, if you like, for the things that are important to the person. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not my role. It's, it's not in my power, I guess, to make those things happen. However, it gives me an idea about what's important to the person, what's underneath that wish for the pain to be gone. Um, and often people say things like, you know, I'd, I'd feel more useful or I'd, um, I'd, I'd be helpful to my grandchildren or often you end up having kind of conversations about these things. Um, and I guess my belief is that sometimes these things can still happen, even if you've got a pain condition in your life. So, um, that's a really another really nice example. We've got um, an amazing uh, guy working with us. He's um, had chronic pain for for years and years. He used to um, work as I think some kind of engineer, you know, in a really practical kind of role. And, yeah. and when he um, got his pain, he couldn't do a lot of the things he really wanted to do. He wanted to kick a football with his son. He wanted to work, etc., etc. Um, and actually, a solution-focused conversation for him helped him realise what was important to him now. He'd kind of got really fixed on taking away the pain, but that that wasn't a fruitful course of his energies for him because he felt he'd exhausted all the options that were available to him kind of medically, etc. Um, and a solution-focused conversation helped him realise what was important to him was finding something he could do with his son. Um, so in this case, he couldn't kick a ball around because, you know, his, his pain meant that his mobility was affected and, and that kind of thing. But what he did through a conversation about strengths and resources and, you know, what he already knows kind of things, he came up with um, the thought that actually he's a very practical kind of guy, very adaptive, really good with his hands, and he could still do some parts of that. So he thought to himself, OK, what does my son love? And again, I, th I think this is facilitated by Solution Focus Framework, the conversation that we had together. Um, what can I do with my son? I can I can make stuff. What does my son love? Daleks. Let's make a life-size Dalek. <laughs> wow. So um, in that sense, although... I couldn't fulfill his best hope, if you like, which was to run around and play football with his son and have no pain. Actually, solution-focused question uncovered the things that were important to him, the strengths he already has. Um, so that's the way I tend to often go about things, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that example because 
it's it's as if he's come into the room with a, a strategy, kicking a football around. But by having that conversation, he's realised that there are actually lots and lots of different routes to getting pretty much the same thing that he wanted. So it might not be kicking a football around, but what he really wanted was to be spending this time with his with his boy. And yeah. he was able to find more creative strategies in yeah. order to do the same thing. Absolutely. So I think for me, um, taking a solution-focused approach helps people kind of to open their net wider, you know, in terms of their thinking, instead of thinking about and only thinking about the thing that they can't, you know, they can't fix or medical science can't fix. It helps them think about, well, you know, where could I put my energies, you know, without you, you as the clinician being directive and saying, well, why don't you just, <laughs> I yeah. would never have come up with the Dalek solution <laughs> <laughs> if I was saying, why don't you just, you know, go and, um, you know, find something different to do with your son, you know, and, and that presumes that I knew what was important to him. So we kind of got to, you know, a quite creative solution through, through his thoughts and his uh, thinking about himself. So that, that, that's a, a, a lovely example, I think. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Because even though you're the, the doctor, you're the clinician, Within that conversation, he became the expert very quickly, didn't he? Exactly, exactly. And so now Kev, um, Kev is his name, he's, um, he's such a wonderful role model. And actually through the course of some of our early conversations, he um, he wanted to also give something back to others who were going through similar experiences. So we... <sighs> you know, all together kind of set up um, Pain Clinic Plus, which is our peer-led expert patient um, drop-in kind of support group. So that runs at the same time as the clinic runs on a Friday morning. Wow. And Kev is one of the lead um, volunteer mentors in there. So it's kind of like had this lovely ripple effect um, where I think probably through... I don't know, probably through the way Solution Focus ideas have influenced some of my thinking, we've really celebrated patient expertise. And then that's led to, you know, this lovely kind of coming together of them using their expertise to help others. And, and Kev is, you know, a really nice example of that. And um, they've just had their 10 year anniversary, which is also a nice celebration for us this year. Wow, that's amazing. So I, I was going to ask you something similar. So we'll, we'll go to that now. You talk about uh, a celebration of patient expertise when when they're when they're in the room with you and then they're having these conversations which place them as the agents of change and place them as the expert what impact does that have in terms of wider um service user involvement yeah so um i think it helps people to feel empowered it helps people to feel that they have something to offer and often, like I say, some of the themes I end up talking about with people are about feeling useful again. Um, so if we as a clinic can can kind of, you know, create opportunities for that to flourish um, for those who wish to go down that angle, I think lovely things can happen. So um, another lovely example is the, the choir that we've got, the Singing for Wellbeing Choir, um, Good Vibrations, which... Some people who are part of the UKSFP will will know because they've um, come along and actually sung at some of our conferences over the years. Um, and my colleague Susie Curtis is really involved with them. Um, and that came about through, again, a solution-focused conversation with um, someone, you know, coming to the clinic who was experiencing pain, who was talking about how music and singing helps her pain and uh, we kind of wondered together whether that would help other people and and she was really keen to to share that with others so hence the idea of this um the well-being you know the singing for health kind of choir came about um before it started getting really trendy I would say because there's quite a few of them about these days um but for for pain conditions I think we were perhaps one of the early ones um and again, people, you know, people love it. it. It's more than just singing. It so it utilizes um, Karen, the lady who who runs it, her expertise, and then it helps to bring out expertise in you know people who who previous to attending something like choir might have felt a little bit 
lost you know they kind of gain a sense of identity a sense of coming together a shared goal a shared celebration of their talent so lovely things can grow and um my best hope now is also to kind of set up um an exercise style kind of session uh using expert patient volunteers who themselves have found exercise helpful and want to kind of you know, provide a forum for people to come together. You know, after the the physio sessions finish, um, sometimes people struggle to, to access kind of a, a usual kind of community gym or things like that. And there's something about identity and uh, shared best hopes, I think. And that, that's been the success of Pain Clinic Plus and the choir. So I was wondering whether we could do something similar for, for exercise. So watch, watch this space, really. <laughs> wow, it sounds like a lovely spirit of co-creation going on there. That's what we, yeah. That that's my best hope, and and that's what seems to to happen really. And and credit to you know the amazing people that c- come through our doors who, who despite their own challenges with their physical health, they want to um, give to others and share experiences and come together as a community, which which is really lovely to see. <laughs> It's interesting because at the at the very start of the call, like you just described them as um, amazing people, and. You, you mentioned, like, I asked you what kind of people that you see on a week, weekly basis, and you, you, you drew the distinction between um, if I look at them as a diagnosis, it's this way. But if I think of them in terms of the best hopes they give me, I think of them completely differently. How does the process impact on, on you as a clinician when you ask people solution-focused questions about what it is that they want for the future and what resources they've got? Well, I think it helps you to stay hopeful because sometimes you know you'll receive I don't know the the letter from the GP or or whoever's kind of seen them and and you'll feel like wow this person's been through so much and has so much going on you know what what can I offer as a psychologist you know whose job is just to kind of talk with people really um so it kind of helps you it helps you to remember to think differently about people, to see the big picture, to notice the big picture. Helps you stay hopeful. It helps you, helps you kind of, yeah, remember that people are bringing strengths and expertise. How have they lived their lives for so long despite these challenges? What is it that keeps them going? And if I don't ask that, I won't know, you know. Um, and I think um, your question reminds me of um, a, an article that um, another of our colleagues here, so um, Dr. David Unwin, he's a GP in Southport, and he's worked quite closely with the psychology department here um, um, in, in fact, his wife is uh, Jen Unwin, who, again, people might might know she's another clinical health psychologist. Yeah, I think I um, met her at a conference, actually. Yeah, yeah. So Jen's, you know, obviously been heavily involved in the organisation. And I think some of that over the years has rubbed off on David. So he's done a lot of work over the years in his GP practice. And he wrote this lovely article for Solution News quite a few years ago now called um, From Heart Sync to Hero. And kind of changes how you look at the people you know in your waiting room or coming into your your office to talk from yeah from heart sync to hero and I think that's a lovely phrase a lovely way of putting it and that that stays with me really and the best hopes question um because I was saying like how 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 on earth do you ask that when they're in chronic pain and, and that pain can't go away but it sounds like from what you were saying, even if they were to say, well, obviously my best hope is not to have the pain, that that becomes a window into what's important for them. Yeah, and I think it's um, obviously there's a lot of, I think there's quite a lot of skills in terms of timing and listening to people as well. Um, so that um, both and kind of position that gets talked about in solution focused practice. Um, say more about where- that, both and. Yeah, so so often I do have to spend a significant time listening to people's stories, especially because, um, for example, a lot of people with persistent pain, chronic pain, they don't feel believed by mm. some of the people in the systems that they talk to, you know, NHS systems, friends and family sometimes. Um Sometimes, you know, the, the, the social cares, you know, and, and, and benefit systems are set up to almost disprove people, to disbelieve people. So um, I do think listening to the problem is really important. However, yeah. 
solution focused practice allows me to do it in a constructive kind of way um so by both and i mean listening to the presence of the problem and remaining curious about you know little glimmers like you know they, they, they i might discover times they have a slightly better day and that might help me to think with them more about their best hopes sometimes i can't ask the question using the phrase best hopes i have to kind of adapt my language to the person i'm, I'm working with so um what kind of adaptations do you make what are the different ways that you ask the best hopes question uh, so sometimes sometimes i'll ask it straight so you know at the start of the conversation you know just suppose us kind of talking together is useful to you today what are your what are your best hopes how would we know if something useful started to happen from from today um sometimes sometimes with some people i will ask a miracle type question um but i'll have kind of found out some again some little snippets about what what they're after from 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 coming initially um sometimes it's more a conversation about what does a bearable day look like okay (laughs) um what does a really bad day look like and what does a bearable day look like because because by virtue of doing that there's there's differentiation and that can sometimes be a starting point to kind of developing a theme of of best hopes so again I think everybody's different and um yeah I think I don't think I make it up as I go along, but I kind of I kind of do because I kind (laughs) of listen to what the person's bringing adapt my language change my questioning style so i guess all that is 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 you know coming from somewhere through maybe some of the training expertise i've had but sometimes i do feel like i'm making it up as i go along and and i try and see that as a good thing as well <laughs> yeah i think it is as well because i think one of the 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 key kind of tenets of this is that you're using the person's language uh, anyway so if they're using a particular kind of language then that 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 is best isn't it if it's kind of weaved into your your next question Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, I think language is is so, so important um, in any conversations, really. Um, And also, it was really interesting. So I had um, a psychiatrist from one of the mental health teams. Mental health teams are kind of situated separately to to us because I work into kind of physical health settings, if you like. Yeah. Psychiatry is based in mental health. And um, one of the psychiatrists came over to observe some of the, the clinics we were running. And she said to me after a session, she said, ah, you didn't ask about the pain at all. Um, and she was kind of quite surprised. And I thought, ah, oh, <laughs> I felt like I've kind of done my job yeah. in that sense. Because, um, yeah, there's times when actually pain doesn't even come up in the conversation there's times it does and and times when if i'm going with what the person wants sometimes it it doesn't have to and doesn't need to come up in the conversation yeah that's fascinating isn't it because a a lot of the time you know people in a helping role are are very in all sorts of fields are focused on the problem um and yet you're having conversations where the problem doesn't feature and and presumably people are getting a lot out of it yeah, and I think especially solution-focused um, kind of ideas and questions have a lot to bring where a condition, you know, th- th- there isn't a fix to the problem, you know. So I think, so for example, in my, in my teams, in the team I work in, um, you know, some of our clinicians do ask about the pain and they do have to take a problem-focused um stance to it because it is their job to you know to get to the right diagnosis to make sure there's nothing else that would help the person um however as a as a psychologist i think you have more the um the luxury really of of actually i'm quite assured that that work has been done with you know with the people that come into my my team um so i can focus perhaps more on the living well aspect um if you like whilst also being able to draw other clinicians in as and when it seems to fit with the person. Um, so I think I think it depends on your role. I think it depends on yeah. your setting. Um, but certainly there are occasions where I have conversations with people that don't talk about pain. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the um, miracle question there. And for those who don't know or are new to Solution Focus, the miracle question is where we basically ask the person, you know, what if a miracle happened and your best hopes were realised? Do you have to approach that differently when you ask the miracle question again for a similar sort of reason that people's 
people's miracle would probably say, well, I don't want to be in pain. And so do you have to kind of be quite sensitive about how you ask that question? Yeah, I think so. I think you can't, you can't just blaze in with it kind of thing. Cause again, I think for, for the things I've talked, the reasons I've talked about people, I think people need to feel that you, you get them, that you are understanding of the challenges that they're bringing. And for some people, if you, if you just waded straight in with that question, it would perhaps put you on a bit of a back foot. Um, you know, other people might think differently, but that that's kind of been my style and my experience. Um, I'll often, yeah, get a general sense of, you know, the the things they're hoping for. And again, it's kind of often framed by, so if this, just suppose this conversation is really useful to you and you go away, what would, what might start to be different? Yeah. Um, And if it's things like, you know, feeling more useful or uh, feeling more happy or, you know, often you kind of end up with these, almost these vague kind of themes. Sometimes the miracle question I find is quite useful in honing those down. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, I might throw it in and say, so just suppose, you know, you go to bed tonight and the, the miracle happens and you don't know miracles happen because you've been, you know, been asleep, but the miracles happen and some of the things you've perhaps started to think about have started to change so perhaps it's the things you've said to me about feeling more useful or feeling happier what would be the first thing you'd notice when you wake up so um that that's the way i tend to go with it um so your your miracle question is shaped around um some of the things that have already come up so they're not automatically going to well i want my pain to go away that they're thinking in terms of well I, i would like to be more useful i would like to be more happy and that becomes the miracle yeah, for some people, although, yeah, like I say, some people I, I, I can ask, you yeah. know, so if some of the problems that brought you here today had, had gone away, what would start to be different? You can go with with that. And, and I think it's almost that thing of kind of feeling your way with somebody. So sure. um, so if I did ask the miracle question and it was about, you know, the problems have gone away, they might say um, I'd wake up and, and the pain would be gone. And you can still get a really rich description from that if the person's almost like willing to go with you on that. Yeah. So um, what would you notice is different from the first moment you open your eyes? Oh, I'd be often people say things like I'd be looking forward to the day. Yeah. Um, I'd be noticing the birds singing outside my window, um, you know, things like that. So you can you can get that rich description. Um that way again I, it's, I guess I'm finding it a little bit hard to answer because I think everybody is different and I kind of that'd be an interesting study in a way wouldn't it to look <laughs> at my the way I alter my practice depending on what people say to me um yeah so I think there's 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 no definitives for me and I find that it is a bit of a dance and I adapt to the person who's who's in front of me but sometimes I will ask it in the way you know perhaps the more standard way sometimes I find I have to be a bit more softly softly yeah um and whether that's about me or about them I perhaps don't quite know that yet (laughs) I love that analogy of um, the metaphor of dance though because I mean, I use the term co-creation before for some of the stuff you're doing around pain clinic plus and the choir and the exercise stuff. But yeah. it is a dance, isn't it? It is a co-creation. It is two people on an equal footing sort of finding your way through together. Yeah, I think and I think maybe I nicked that term from from other people. Um there's some really good work down in London um, with diabetes. And I think there was an article written about it. It's about a dance when you're doing SF stuff with, with people with diabetes. And I think that term applies to to everything we do. I think, um, is it Guy, Guy Shannon and Rob Black talk about um, call and response kind of style? Oh, so yeah. I think... I think perhaps all these words mean a similar kind of thing um, where you, I see it as like throwing some fishing lines out and then sometimes one will bite, but then sometimes others won't. And, and yeah. your kind of job is to, to adapt your language, adapt your questions, be with the person rather than too far ahead or too far behind. In fact. Yeah. And what, and what do you scale then? Um, because I mean, I came into this conversation thinking, um, you know, you, are you scaling the the absence of pain? But it sounds like that's not at all what you'd be doing. It's something probably more similar to what I do when I'm I'm counselling people. 
Oh, I think think that's a good good point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So if if I use scaling, and I don't always use it, you know, in a kind of not to ten format. Sometimes it comes about in different ways. But um, yeah, scaling for me isn't about the absence of a problem. It's about the growth of something, yeah. um, and that comes about through you know, your questions, your best hopes, your your miracle question, however you get to that, um, and some of the strengths and things that people want to kind of keep in their lives, in a way. Um, and that's been really important, actually, working in, in a physical health setting, because often it can be geared a lot about, you know, the absence of a problem, which I think um, constricts things, and you yeah. don't find these lovely examples of what people want to grow in their lives, what's important to them. So on our, we run a pain management program as well. It's an eight-week group program. Um, and f- from the off, really, we have an information morning. We get people to think about, so just suppose this course is useful to me in, in, in living well despite pain. What are my hopes for myself? What, what do I want to kind of grow in my life despite despite pain? And you get lovely things that, you know, I would maybe never have thought of and they're very um, – person-centered if you like so um things like i'd like to notice myself going for a coffee with a friend again you know um and that becomes their 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 best hope if you like um so and i think as well it's about a lot i mean a lot of measures in in mental health and in physical health are geared about having less of a problem yeah um so a lot of the outcome measures are geared around that but we've we've made a conscious decision to kind of go with outcome measures that show growth so as well as our um our using our kind of not 10 scaling and five point scale which we've kind of talked about calling the i grow because that's about growth and well-being and people set their own hopes we also use um standardized measures because because the nhs you know likes that kind of thing yeah <laughs> um so we look at self-efficacy uh, which is a sense of can do really despite pain so that seems to fit with kind of some of the things we're, we're trying to do here um and we use the warwick edinburgh mental well-being scale so rather than looking at less depression or less anxiety which you know these things often coexist with chronic pain we're looking at a growth in how people uh feeling their mental well-being rather than their mental distress if you like and that's quite a different thing and and i think it's important that isn't it because like you say if um if you just measure in an absence of pain there's there's not a lot you you kind of on a very binary restricted way and it i mean it doesn't lead you to daleks does it to measure it in that (laughs) way exactly exactly (laughs) yeah and yeah so you couldn't yeah you couldn't have a we we could do a dalek scale but that wouldn't be right (laughs) for other people either would it exactly (laughs) yeah it becomes more i think it just lets people think outside the box and it lets clinicians think outside the box with their patients um another lovely example is um a, a, a young guy we've been working with who is just 20 now he's been working with us for I think it's well over a year possibly a little bit longer um and he was in a wheelchair when he first came to us really debilitated because of his pain um kind of couldn't really see a way forwards and <laughs> his best hope was um turned out you know to be actually one of my best hopes with the physio is i want to learn to get back on my feet again so i can give stand-up hugs <laughs> oh wow because he's quite like an affectionate kind of person yeah. and friendly person and that's what he 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 kind of learned to do with the physio which was lovely um and also one of his things was we used scaling with him and he um one of his hopes was to become a little bit more independent and grow into the young adult he wanted to be um and he was he's he's really creative guy um great imagination and we ended up. Um, he said it's kind of like the Jungle Book, isn't it? It's like um, it's like I'm kind of Mowgli and I'm learning to kind of leave leave my you know my safe place behind and grow up and move to the man village away from you know the animals. It's going to be a bit a bit different for me, but it's something I want. But it's kind of bittersweet. And um, so his scale became um, not only the the uh, stand up hug scale, but also um, Mowgli moments scale. Wow. Um, so. Yes, yeah, so that 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 kind of framed a lot of the conversations 
I had with him and, and kind of with the members of the team who were helping him work towards his goals. Um, and, and, and that's, yeah, his creative thinking. I would never have come up with that. And do you find people do that in terms of, because what he's done there, he's framed it where he's kind of created a whole story that he's the hero of. Is, is that something that using Solution Focus, you find, happens with, with other people too? I think so, because I think people see themselves less in terms of I've failed and more in terms of, hold on, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually a bit of a hero because I'm kind of coping with this very, you know, challenging condition. Um, and there is something I want to do with my life and make of my life. And um, it, it, it allows people to think of themselves in those kind of terms rather than... Um, I don't know. My informal way of putting it is doom and gloom kind of terms. Yeah. Um, so the doom and gloom is often still there at times. Don't get me wrong. Of course, because yeah. People are living with challenging conditions. You know, this 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 guy still has some times when his condition is really difficult, and now he also has times where he can notice times of difference, times of change, notice a general sense of progress, albeit um, slowly but surely. And I think. That's the beauty of the questions as well is, is, is yes, allowing people to see themselves in terms of being a success rather than a, someone who's failed um, and also allowing people to kind of see shades of grey as well in their, their thinking and their progress and the way they're trying to manage their activities in their lives. I guess it's quite a powerful thing anyway, isn't it, to shift people's focus because I'm thinking he, he was talking about his, his Mowgli moments yeah. So his radar was switched on to all the all the possibilities and good stuff that was happening. Whereas yeah. if if you were only monitoring pain or lack of pain, then his radar would be switched on to the pain and that would be the focus all the time, every day in between sessions. And it's like that. Don't think of an elephant thing, isn't it? You immediately think of an elephant. So the whole focus is on always kind of being aware and questioning how much pain is currently there and how much pain isn't rather than this focus on this is my kind of hero moment this is my Mowgli moment exactly exactly and he kind of you know he's always really keen to come and tell us you know what he's been up to and he now um attends our pain clinic plus drop in and he has flourished and he has something to give others through sharing his story and his skills because he's like I say he's a really creative guy so he's very entertaining in there um <laughs> so 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 yeah I think I think you get this lovely kind of snowball effect um which which is really it, it's just lovely to see um doesn't happen for all the people all of the time um however you know people often say about our service there's a nice vibe, you know, people are really friendly, people are welcoming. And I think I think that's in part due to the approach we, we try and take as well. I'm guessing as well, if you're seeing people's strengths, you as a practitioner are not um, being weighed down with doom and gloom. There's hopefulness in you as well. And there's, you know, you, you see the, the people that you're that are coming into your clinic as heroes too. And I guess that must have, I mean, what, what effect do you think that has on the people that you see? The fact that you view them in that way, uh, I, I mean, I'd like, I'd like to think it's kind of um, en encouraging and, and hopeful. So perhaps as a, a practitioner, if I'm modelling hope, that maybe like rubs off a little bit. Um, of course, it's not just about it's not just about positive thinking, is it? You know, because you know we do we are taking the both and position, yes. and we're not just talking about you know Pollyanna-ish kind of no no. You know, kind of stuff however I, I think I think it does help you feel you know like you're looking forward to to meeting the people you work with rather than oh who've I got on my list today you know so it, and I would imagine that rubs off because you know it, it it by virtue of that would hopefully make you appear more welcoming because there's all that subconscious stuff that we give off isn't there <laughs> that we don't you know, we can't always hide in ourselves even when we try so I would hope the practitioner you know kind of becomes part of the therapy in that sense as well um, yeah I guess the best person to ask is the people that we talk to <laughs> yeah yeah as always yeah 
So you mentioned that this person then, um, the Mowgli Moments guy, what did you, did you, I'm not sure whether you mentioned his name, it's not really relevant, is it? But the, the guy who was doing the Mowgli Moments, yes. um, that when he was working with other health practitioners within the team, that they were all working towards those goals as well. So is is your team, are the other health professionals also kind of trained in solution focused as well? Ah, yes, yes. I probably missed that bit out. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we have a medic and physio, occupational therapy. Um, and yes, they're all trained in solution focused approaches so that, um, again, right from the off, you know, when someone comes into our service, I'm not, I'm never the first person they see because they usually have, um, a physio or a medical kind of appointment. And the purpose of that is is to to get the right diagnosis to make sure they're accessing the right kind of treatments because some treatments do reduce or take away pain yeah. and, and people should rightly have access to them. Yeah. However, you know, one of the very first questions our clinicians tend to ask is, um, you know, what are your what are your best hopes for meeting with me today? What you know, just suppose this consultation is useful to you. What are you hoping for? Um, so right from the off, it it kind of sets sets the tone, if you like, that we are viewing the patients as as, as co collaborators. Um, and also, they're trained to look out for any glimpses of expertise um and resource in the patients and notice that with the patient um so again it becomes a very different kind of consultation yes there's times where they have to put their their different hat on and do their diagnostic stuff and also they find they can sprinkle in solution focused questions with people as well which leads them to find out things about their patients they would never you know normally find out about that's that's frequently the feedback I hear from people um, and then it guides the patient's journey through the clinic so um, we start with what they want and and work from there combining their expertise and, and our expertise um, so in the hope that it does become very you know person-centered patient-centered journey which is is really what all the NHS guidance is about these days is, um, you know, being a being a co-collaborator, a, a coming together of experts in your consultations rather than you holding all the expertise and thinking you know what's best for the person. Yeah. Um, it's an expert by invitation model, really, that we try and work to. So what, what do you think the value is of having the whole multidisciplinary team using this approach rather than, say, just you and a couple of others? Oh, hugely valuable because, again, when I talk about things like Mowgli moments, they they know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, for example, um, I'd say my role as a psychologist, I often find out more in depth about these kind of questions and these kind of aspects of people's lives. However, not everybody sees the psychologist. So if if that's the case, then my hope is that patients in our clinic are experienced experienced in a psychologically informed approach even without seeing the psychologist because because the clinicians are practicing in that kind of way um so hopefully it also reduces you know demand on on my my services really because because there's not very much of it um you know and, and it is that thing of a shared language so for example yeah. at our um, we have multidisciplinary team uh, meetings where you know we might bring each other up to date on aspects of a, a session with somebody um with that with their permission of course um so at least this kind of shared language this uh, and often you know we will talk about oh wonder you know if it's a new referral we might think oh wonder what this person's best hopes would be because it's not really in the information from the gp or whoever so um i think it's really really important and also it helps the team spot resources that might otherwise be missed and and it's an opportunity isn't it to have um to make a positive difference at every conversation rather than just the conversations with the psychologist if you like um and uh, the lovely thing i've noticed is some of our team's letters it's coming out in in their letters either back to the referrer or (laughs) often i mean i write my letters back to the person and that's really powerful isn't it when you know Maybe you're going to see somebody who you perhaps perceive to be the expert or, or perhaps not. I don't know if they actually acknowledge your expertise. That, that can oh, be quite yeah. a powerful thing, I think. And, and just to kind of finish the session off, because I want to be respectful of your time. If someone's listening to this and, and they're in chronic pain and they've, they've listened to this episode and they're, 
they're thinking that they might like to try solution focus for themselves, but maybe don't have access to a service like yours. What kind of guidance and advice would you give someone who wanted to try out a solution focused approach for their own chronic pain? Ah, good question. Um, I would always see say with with chronic pain, persistent pain, um, they they do need to make sure they've had a thorough kind of you know assessment so that nothing's missed. Um, so so I don't think it's all about being purely solution focused. However, if, if that's kind of been satisfied by the appropriate medic or a, a community pain service like us, um, GPs can refer for for pain management services like us. Um, if that's been you know exhausted, then it, I don't see anything wrong if the person is curious about a solution focused therapist that the solution focused therapist doesn't have to per se have had lots of training in in pain because that's the beauty of the approach isn't it um so i guess they'd either um you know go to the ukcp website if they're looking for a private practitioner or um a lot of um nhs services are using solution focused approaches these days so i think it's about finding a, a clinician or an approach that kind of fits for it's for you really um but i would say that that in certainly in my setting i don't think solution focused ideas should should exist in isolation i, I do yeah. think that's quite important yeah um, I'm, I'm thinking of a person who's maybe you know got a diagnosis etc knows that the knows that that diagnosis isn't going to change maybe it's not going to get better particularly in terms of the pain itself but so they're in that situation that, and they're thinking well i wouldn't mind just having a little experiment myself with with these sorts of ideas because they sound interesting to me what would be their kind of first and second steps do you think in terms of um you know what questions to ask themselves oh okay so i would get them to perhaps have a good think about well what what is really important to me in my life um and that's quite a big question if you really think about it hard oh yeah um what what does a good day look like for me that might tell me you know the things I want to perhaps grow more um when are the times my pain's more in the background when are the times um other people notice me at my best um so I think you can do a bit of you know self-helpy stuff by exploring some of those questions and then maybe some some kind of scaling ideas about well how much of that is already happening and how would I know if it was happening a little bit more um often for people I work with as well it's about not feeling quite so isolated um and I suppose that's learn from my experience of talking to lots of people over the years so if they can find kind of you know a a peer-led support group that seems to have been quite a useful thing for lots of people that we've come across um but perhaps that's me being a bit more directive rather than solution focused (laughs) well it's been fascinating speaking to you becky because you're operating in this very different environment um and with 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 um with issues that aren't necessarily going to go away so it's been fascinating to get your your take on that on that particular um world really oh thank you yeah and i just want to credit really the 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 access i had to solution focused ideas um my colleagues here you know jen and win susie curtis dominic bray was the first person who led me to solution focused ideas as a clinical psychologist um and the myriad of settings it's used in for example palliative care where you know there's a there's an obvious challenge to be to be faced in that setting so so it's kind of help to grow my belief that solution focused ideas can be useful probably whatever the setting um so yeah credit my colleagues as well as the excellent training i've received and the contact with ukfp and um doing my training initially down at brief as well in london so yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm just curious on that just to add another question and when did because you were exposed to those ideas you were saying and when did you first realize that these ideas had resonance for you and these were going to be important to you i think um when i was training as a clinical psychologist um you get exposed to different models of therapy so and you go on different placements where you see it used and you use it for yourself in practice um and i did 
like kind of CBT. I did a bit of psych- psychodynamic type work. Um, but for me, it's, it's when when Dominic really Dominic Bray came and did some teaching on my my course, my program on solution focused ideas, and it just really fit with me. I think as a person, I'm a bit more of a I don't know, a, a, a let's get on with it kind of person. And perhaps that that drew me to solution-focused ideas. And and also, a, a, I used to have this experience where I'd prepare my sessions and then the person who'd walk in would be nothing like what I'd been thinking about for them in <laughs> advance. <laughs> so solution-focused ideas allowed me to kind of work in a, in, a different, in a different way with the person and what they were bringing with them rather than me figuring them out before they'd set foot in the door. So <laughs> That's interesting, <laughs> um, isn't it? So, yeah, so initially think, you had this this kind of like model to kind of impose upon them, and then they 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 blew that out the water the moment they walked in. Yeah, exactly. Or something <laughs> else had happened in their lives, and you know you couldn't really stick to all your you know your your mapped out frameworks or or, or whatever whatever way. So I think um, I think solution focus really spoke to me in that sense. And also, what I really liked is when I started uh, getting involved in the UKSFP stuff. Um, Almost like people are, are more informal, more friendly, more approachable, rather than people keeping their tips and ideas to themselves. There was this real friendly, shared, um, almost like support out there yeah. so to, to encourage you as a practitioner. So a lot of things about the ethos and a lot of things about the um, the community of practitioners really, really appealed to me um, and made sense in my world. So that's probably why I took it up and... And also there's a lot of evidence, isn't there, about if the therapy is a good fit for the therapist, it's more likely to be helpful to the the person. Um, So I think that is really important when you're thinking about what kind of therapist or practitioner to become. (laughs) Well, it's been lovely speaking with you. I'm I'm really grateful for your time, Becky, and and for for all the information that you've given us. And best of luck with your uh, Nesta Award. Oh, thank you very much. Yep, fingers (laughs) crossed for September. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Becky. Take care. Thank bye. You. Thank you. Bye. Now, this podcast was actually recorded in late August, and you can hear me wishing Becky good luck for the Nesta Good Help Awards in September. So here's an update. Becky's team, the NHS Community Pain Service and Pain Clinic, along with Pain Clinic Plus, which is the peer support groups that she talked about, actually won joint second prize at the National Nesta Good Help Awards out of over 300 entries from a whole range of fields. So congratulations to Becky and congratulations to her team for all the great work that they're doing as, well, I think I can safely say now, award-winning solution-focused practitioners. Becky mentions too that the Good Help Project is also worth knowing about as many of their principles our solution focus too and you can find them online at goodhelp.challenges.org that's goodhelp.challenges.org so once again congratulations to becky and congratulations to her team for that well-deserved award you've been listening to the solution focus podcast the official podcast of the uk association for solution focus practice To find out more about us, visit ukasfp.org. That's ukasfp.org. Now, our best hope is that you'll spread the word by sharing the podcast with your friends and on your social media. Even better would be to rate us on Apple Podcasts so it's easy for others to discover the show. And if you'd like to contact us or even be a guest on the show yourself, just write to podcast at ukasfp.org that's podcast at ukasfp.org until next time thanks for listening and goodbye